Have you ever thought about that uh, kindergarten riddle? What came, what came first, the, the chicken or the egg? You ever took like five minutes just to ponder that for a minute? What came first, right, the chicken or the egg? You know, some of you are like, oh, that's kind of interesting. It was like, I got an answer. Look, I'm just glad we got chicken wings. That's, I'm good. Regardless of whatever came first, the chicken or the eggs, praise God for chicken wings. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Now, guys, uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute when we look at this uh, series that we're starting today called Binge Reading the Bible. Because there's a question that sometimes people ask and they wonder. They say, uh, what came first, the Bible or Christianity? And so I know that that might be a question like, look, uh, that doesn't sound, uh, I didn't wake up this morning thinking that. But that is a question that some ask me. Some say, well, the Bible gave us Christianity. Or no, 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 Christianity gave us the Bible. And so which one came first? Is it the chicken or the egg? Is it the the Bible or Christianity? And so what we're going to do today is we are going to begin a series that we're going to really continue. If you missed Easter, just to give it a wrap up, because last Sunday, what I shared last Sunday was like the intro, where we said that the foundation of the Christian faith is not the Bible, which is a crazy statement for some people because they think that the foundation of our faith is this book. But it's not because you know what? The authors say it. Paul says it. Peter says it. Jesus himself said that the foundation of their faith is not in a book. It's not in some book. In fact, it's in somebody. That's the foundation of our faith. It's in the resurrection of Jesus. Because listen, if it wasn't for Jesus rising from the grave, there would be no the Bible. If it wasn't for Jesus rising from the grave, there would be no Bible. You would not have, we would not have this book or this app, however you have it. So the foundation of our faith is not in what was written. It's in who was risen. And who was risen actually validates this. So the question begs us, and this it was so hard not to go into this last week, and that's why we're going to do this series. So if the foundation of our faith is not the Bible, then what do we do? With the Bible. That's like the next logical question. And so that's where I want to help you. That's where I feel like God put on my heart to help you guys. Because again, there's something, a really interesting detail. In that for the first 300 years of the church, 300 years after Jesus rose from the grave, for the first 300 years, the early Christians had no the Bible. The way you have it. It didn't exist. In the way, in the format that, man, you can go buy it right now at Amazon, any store. That, it does not exist for almost 300 years. And so how were they able to take on the Jewish system and convert, you know, and, and to show and open the eyes of all these people say, yeah, hey, some Jew that y'all killed, yeah, he's still alive. And he was the promised Messiah that many weren't convinced of, but then they were. And so how did this early church survive the onslaught that came from the opposition, that came from the Jewish temple, and then the Roman Empire, the most powerful nation and empire in the world at that time? Not only did the church survive, it thrived and overcame and outlasted And the most powerful empire in the world without firing one shot, without swinging one sword. How did they do that if they didn't have the Bible? Was because the foundation of their faith was not in something that they read. The foundation of that early church's faith was in something they saw. They saw Jesus alive. And then not only that, but they bumped it. But then there was other people who then met people who saw Jesus alive. And something was interesting. Something happened. And then they, through those people, had a similar encounter with Jesus. And on and on it goes up until today. 
Where a true Christian, you can say, look, I, I, and I can say it too, I did not become a believer in Christ because I read something in a book and said, you know what, that sounds smart. I'm just going to dedicate my life to that. I like that. No. It's because I also had a personal encounter with this living Savior, what this book points to. This is not just some book. This is some book that points to somebody. That's what this is. And so it's interesting, and you know, it's interesting about the, those little details of like, what do we do with that faith? But then also, here's why, uh, you know, I, I mentioned last week that the problem when, when people place their faith in, in a book the reason why we have 80% of teenagers who grow up believing in the stories, 80% of them abandon and they walk away from their faith. 80% is the stats right now. The reason why is because they've grown up knowing the stories in the book. They, put, you know, they grew up believing that I need to believe in this, yet I've never read all of it. And most Christians will admit they have not read the entire thing. But they'll believe in everything. And then when somebody brings up something that doesn't make sense or they don't understand, I was like, well, I don't, I don't get that. Or if, if that's wrong, I don't believe in that. So then what else in this thing is wrong? Or what else in this thing can I not trust? And so a lot of people, when they look at this, because and then there's some that it bothers. There's some people that are thinkers like that, that that are bothered by the Christians who say, well, if the Bible says it, it settles it. You know, there's some that think that. I was like, look, I, I, don't, I know I don't get it. I can't explain it. I don't, whatever. It's in there. I believe it no matter what. And for you, that some of you are, you know, that, that's good for you. And for others, that's not enough. I was like, well, hold on. And so, they, and so they walk away. So many walk away asking. And they, really, they say this one question. I want to put this question up. It says, well, I don't believe in it anymore. I don't believe in it anymore. And I, I want to ask the question, well, what is the it that you don't believe? What is the it then that you don't believe? Because a lot of times, if you see anybody, they walk away from their faith. It's because a lot of times it's something maybe it was like, well, I don't know about creation. There's a lot of evidence for evolution, I believe. And so I don't know. And so if, cre if God didn't create the world in seven days, then maybe there's all, everything else is in here is wrong. So, so here's the thing. Well, I, I don't know how, you know, Moses can part the Red Sea or, or all of these other supernatural things that we read of or, or, or the genocides or this or that. I'm like, look, 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 all those are great. All those are great questions to have. And there's answers for all of them. But the only it that matters is do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? That's the it that matters most. Because so many people think, well, I don't believe in it anymore. But the, but the reason why we believe is not because we believe in it. Christians believe because of him. That's a big difference. Big, big, big difference. And so I want to make sure, I want to make sure, I want to help you guys. So what do you do when you bump into something that you don't understand? So we're going to actually do some interesting things next week. We're going to talk about the difference between the Old and the New Testament. Why is it there's a division? What is the Old and what is New? And how can we call something new that's 2,000 years old? You know, something interesting. And so, like, what is that? How do they both combine? We're going to look at that. And then there's also ways that the Bible is organized into categories. And that's where all the books are collected. And so we're going to break down every category and say, look, when you're in this kind of category, here's how to approach this. Here's how to read that. Here's how to think or to see. So I want to be able to help you guys read the Bible. And by the way, I want you guys to know one of the top searches on Google when it comes to Christian faith is how to read the Bible. That's one of the top searches. Everyone wants to know, how do I read this thing? So for two months, we're going to help you that. And so we're going to look at that. But today we're going to talk about the origin story. We're going to not talk about so much a story in the Bible. We're going to talk about the story of it. Because, again, a lot of us, we have it. We know the stories maybe. 
But some of us don't know the story of the Bible. And so I want to be able to help you do that. And so if we're going to start at the beginning, if we're going to start at the beginning, we're not going to start at the beginning of the book where it literally says in the beginning. Okay, we're not going to start there. In fact, we're going to start with a different guy more than like uh, 70, oh, 70% through. We're going to start here. If we're going to start at the beginning of the story, we're going to start here with a Greek doctor named Luke. That's where we're going to start today. Some people think, I knew I kind of grew up because you just kind of, all these people in the Bible, you just kind of think they're all this or whatnot. I, I used to think that, uh, you know, I was assuming that, hey, Luke was one of the guys that was rolling with Jesus, which it wasn't the case. And Luke wasn't even a Jew, which is another interesting detail. Luke wasn't even a Jew. He was a Greek. And Luke came to faith in Jesus because he interacted and met people who saw the risen Savior, who saw Jesus. And so Luke, actually, we know of Luke is he was a doctor. All right. And there was something amazing. And he wrote one of the Gospels of Luke. And we're going to look at his opening few sentences. And so if we can look at Luke chapter one, verses one through three, I want you to check out what Luke says. Inasmuch as many have overtaken or undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seems good to me also having, I'm sorry, it seems good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, my most excellent Theophilus. And so sometimes we just jump right into the Christmas story and be like, yo, who's that dude though? Who's Theo? All right, yo, who's, who's Theo? And uh, I want you guys to just to take a second and just break down. Let's just look at these, um, this amazing introduction to what Paul, I'm sorry, uh, Luke is saying. All right. His job, the reason why we have the gospel of Luke is because of a guy named Theo. All right. Theophilus. And Luke says, now we don't know a lot of the details, but here's something that we do know. For if there's ever a, a name usually written. In this way, normally those names represent very prominent or important people. So it is very much likely that uh, Theophilus was a very prominent, uh, even a rich individual. Now, I don't know. I wonder. I actually didn't get a chance to find this, but I wonder if Theophilus actually funded Luke to be able to go do this, uh, you know, this expedition, you know, because Luke says, I want it to create an orderly account of all that had happened. Okay, and why is a Greek going to go try and document something that happened to some Jew? Because something happened to some Jew, okay? Something happened. And so here he goes, and he's writing this thing, and he wants to write an orderly account. And, and I love even the details of orderly. One thing that makes Luke's gospel stand uh, unique to all the others is because he's a doctor. And so the Luke, that's his profession. We know that of him. He's a doctor. And so like most people who are super smart, very detail-oriented, you know, they can tell you to listen to that and the mind, you know, all that. And so Luke's gospel is unique compared to the, all the others because it is the most detailed. In fact, he uses specific historical names and towns and regions and titles, so much detail that when we look at even archaeological evidence, we see, uh, okay, well, historical outside of the Bible, we say, you know, yeah, Luke mentioned this one guy who was this one governor of some, uh, did that, yeah, there was a guy who lived at that time, who had that name, who did have that job. And so Luke's detail is amazing because it validates, it validates the gospel, it validates it to we know of the, the, the time and the order because of all of the details in it. 
And so it's really nice. And I'm glad, you know, I, I wonder how the original one looked like, how his original letter looked like, because you know how doctors write. I mean, right? Who can read like, like what is this? Like, like yo, you so smart. You so smart, but why you write like this? Like, I don't know. I was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Okay. It's like, I guess they're just on another level that it's like code for them. And then people, and then people look, oh yeah, I got it. I was like, what? How? I was like, that looked like a line with a wave and a dash. I'm like, what was that? And so, you know, I'm glad he didn't write it that way. We were able to see, we were able to look at, but you know what? Luke was not the only one. He, he didn't write uh, just one book. Some people don't know, but he wrote actually the book of Acts. And so, Acts and Luke is volume one and volume two. It's his, he's the author of both. And so this gospel of Luke, well, the gospel of Luke is, you know, Luke talking about and kind of summarizing Jesus' 30 to 33 years on earth. That's what Luke does in the gospel of Luke. In the gospel of Acts, he actually highlights and summarizes 30 years of the church, like what happened in the first 30 years. So that's his, when you combine Luke and Acts together, it's a 60-year window. It's really interesting. But see, Luke gave us an interesting detail. What did he say? He said, I'm not the only one doing this, right? Did you catch that? Can we put the verse up? I want you to see this. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative. Many have gone out to tell a story. And what was he doing? At the beginning, I went and looked at who? Eyewitnesses. See, apparently Theophilus was also a believer in Christ. But he, back in the day, I mean, it's, it's not like today, man. We, I mean, it's just, I mean, you could just go online. We got News Cycle 24-7. You got Google, right, Twitter. I mean, you can be on it before so much nowadays. It's like in seconds. And so Theophilus was like, he came to faith in Christ. And he was like, look, I need to know everything. I want to know it all because I wasn't there. And neither was Luke. Luke wasn't there. And so Luke goes and he's like, you know what? I'm going to put down, I'm going to stop my profession. I'm going to stop my practice. And this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to dedicate. I'm going to look and figure out. So he goes and, and studies and interviews eyewitness accounts and spends this time doing this. All right? Because he wasn't there. He didn't hear Jesus. He had to write this. And so he was writing Luke, the gospel of Luke, for somebody who wasn't there, which is awesome because I don't know about you. I don't think none of y'all are 2,000 years old. And so I, we weren't there. So this is awesome that we have also this for us. So we can thank Theo, right, for all that too. And so, but besides that, listen, I want you just to, this is a detail that so many we don't realize, but it's, it's important. Because for many people to write down an orderly account is weird. Okay, maybe now it's a little different because we can document things all the time. Anybody can vlog and blog and blog and whatever you want to do. I don't know. And so we got all that. And so it's easy to document stuff. But 2,000 years ago, listen, that was not the norm, okay? It was expensive. Not everyone had paper. Not everyone could write. Not everyone knew how to do those things. Who got the time? You know, who got the time to go around and to do this? It is not an easy thing. And so for many people to go and write something down, it's because something happened that was a big deal. And these people believed it was worth telling this story. Guys, it was not only is it, is it a crazy expensive detail, but I mean, it was just, I mean, uh, it's crazy expensive, but very, very, very difficult. But here's the beautiful thing about all of this. Okay, you all, some of you are in school, some of you are not in school, college, whatnot, still in high school, all beyond it. Uh, a lot of your education 
especially when it comes to ancient history, right? I mean, beyond the, the printing press around the 1500s, you know, beyond that when things, we were actually to write things down and we can write it quickly and people became literate and, and it was all good. Beyond that, like for, you know, 1000 AD and before that, that's ancient times. There was not a, you know, documents were, were very fragile. They didn't last, you know? It just kind of, it's not, it just would wither away or there would be an accident or like the burning of Alexandria and all the library was lost. And so there was so many things, so many things that would just cause documents not to last. And so a lot of your education about ancient history, about cultures and civilizations, is based on documents that have, you know, arisen. But a lot of those documents are sometimes hundreds, if not thousands of years away from the original event. So if, if something happened in 500 B.C., the first original document that we have that tells us about what happened in 500 B.C. is, is like, in, you know, in 780, 780. And so there's big gaps here. But not only that, sometimes there's only a few documents. There's only a few because, again, it was expensive and things would wither away and they couldn't last. And so a lot of what we teach and a lot of what you believe to be true about the ancient world, about our history, we don't know if that's, I mean, we're just guessing because of the documentation that we have. But you know what? There's one thing, one thing that stands above the rest. It's the Bible. The Bible is the only ancient document that we have multiple accounts of the same book within sometimes less than 200, if not sometimes decades, of the actual events that it happened. Guys, I want you to know that is strange. There is no other document that comes close to what we have archaeologically that, you know, backs this up. Even from the Old Testament, stuff that Moses wrote almost 3,000 years ago, we have documents and multiple accounts. And so why that matters is, is when you have, you know, when you have like, you know, 10,000, 300, 400, 1,000 copies of the same thing, and you see uh, it's pretty consistent, it's pretty much the same, what does that tell you? Okay, it pretty much happened, or this is what was written. And then we have it so close to the original date. No other history, no other figure, no other civilization has what we have. I mean, it's not even fair, yo. Like, if, if, if the most ancient document that we have, I think it runs like, let's say, 5,000 copies of this one thing, that's like second. The Bible is in the tens of thousands and the tens of thousands of manuscripts that have survived the time. And why? Because not, there wasn't just a few. Many people went and did this. And because of all those documents, listen, we know. It is, I mean, it, you can't even argue, not even with non-believers anymore. Seculars will say, yeah, look, what was here, the chances are, yeah, that, that's what was written. We're 99% sure, even despite the translations, because you still people say, oh, you can't trust what's in the Bible because it's been translated so many times. Well, here's the problem. Yes, it's been translated a thousand times, but we have the originals, yo. We look back at the beginning. We can look back at what it really said. And we know, despite the many translations, 99% more of accuracy, we know this is what was actually written. The question now is, it's not, we're not doubting what was written. Now it's, do you doubt what was written? Do you believe what was written? That's really the only thing left because this proves to be true. And so I love that they just, we just see Okay, something is happening at the early, and why are they doing something that is not normal? Because something happened. Something happened. They really believed, and they saw 
the risen Savior. And they spent, so many people spend time trying to tell the story. Now, when you look at the backdrop, as this is happening, as people like Luke and Paul and Peter are out and Mark and all these guys are running around and they're spreading the gospel throughout the world. I mean, listen, there's no Uber, okay? There's no trains, there's no planes, there's none of those things, okay? There's no cars, there's no road, well, there's roads, but whatever. And so, and you would have within a handful of years, Within a handful of years of the resurrection, you would, have, you would have apostles, some of these people who saw Jesus going as far as Europe, going as far into Africa, going as far into India, China. I mean, just, I mean, going y'all on foot, horse, whatever, camel, I don't know how you get there, but man, y'all, they went. And they were taking this to the whole world. Why? Because they believed something happened, because they believed the Savior of the world really did show up and everybody needs to know. Everybody needs to know. And so as they go, and right now, if you know and understand, look at history, Rome is the big dog. Rome is the big player. Rome is the big empire that is running everything. And so the thing is, is that Rome was very superstitious. All right? Rome was very superstitious. And they got this from the Greeks because before Rome was big, the Greeks were big. And uh, anybody like Olympic fans? Y'all like the Olympics? Anybody like to enjoy those, the winter, summer, whatever, right? You know, the, what's that one, though? Is it not, not losing? They, they throw that, that disc, and everybody, like, with broomsticks, like, I don't know. That one looks interesting. And so, I don't know. There's a lot of different events. And so, we know that the Greek, the, the, the Olympics come from Greek culture, but not a lot of people know that a lot of these events and a lot of these sporting um, competitions that were put on was because the Greeks had these temples, and they had these priestesses, and they would go in, and they would, uh, you know, honor and worship their gods, and, and the gods would say, Put on this sport, this event in my honor or else. Okay? That was one of the things. And so do this or else a plague is going to happen or else, you know, famine is going to hit the land. Do this. And uh, even with the Greeks, our modern-day entertainment culture comes from the Greeks. And a lot of what were the plays and the tragedies and the Greek, you know, all those uh, amazing things, a lot of them were done by and asked for by the, the gods. The gods would say, put on this play in my honor or else. And a lot of the plays and a lot of the things that they would ask were sometimes very disgusting, very perverted. I mean, very gross, very, very just not there. But they would have to do it because they were afraid. And so as Rome took over the Greek and, you know, the Greek culture and the Greek world, Rome started adopting a lot of these things. And then Rome became superstitious. They were one of those. I mean, so I don't know if you ever were like that. If you, you know, if you maybe you still are or you know people who are superstitious, they have to do certain things certain times or else. Or if they see this, they see it as a sign. You know, I, I wasn't the only superstition that me, my kid, you know, not my kids, me, I think even Alicia too, uh, we admit to having was, you know, I don't know if it's a Hispanic thing or not, but, you know, there there was a, a boogeyman, you know, called the cuckoo that always lived at grandma's house, okay? And so, like, it, there was all, I don't know if that's the thing, but that was for us. Like, we had that. It was this cuckoo. And so, that's, that's if you guys had the boogeyman or any of those people, it was kind of like the same scenario. And so, it, it, there was always that spooky room in grandma's house that no one wanted to go into. You know, it's where all the roaches live, and that's where the cuckoo was. And so, and then we always would challenge each other. It's like, yo, yo, I dare you to go in there. I'm like, nah, man, yo, you, you know, it's like, yo, get in. And we try to, like, shove each other. We get the cousins, you know, throw a cousin in there, lock the door. And you're like, nah, nah. It was, it was so bad. And so, you know, or, like, the, the worst thing we would do, we would, like, run past the hallway and, like, flick on the light as we, because we were too scared to see what was inside or whatnot. And so we would do stuff like that. That's the most superstitious that I think I ever was as a kid. But, uh, but the thing is that, there's a lot of people like that, and Rome was like that. And so they felt like if something bad happened, then the gods are upset. 
So that's what they would do. So, oh, if, if the river flooded, if, if, if this happened, if, if, if the, you know, the economy collapsed, they were always looking for a reason. Okay, who upset the God? Okay, was it you? Was it you? Was it you? And here's the thing. As Rome, by this time, Rome was collapsing under its own weight because it had expanded beyond its able to, you know, to control. But not only that, the culture was, had become so corrupted. The culture was failing. And any civilization, no, there's no civilization that can outlast a collapse in culture, a collapse in morals and ethics. You know, we got to pray for even this nation and any nation. And so here they are. And so the, there's a, an interesting correlation because as things are getting bad consistently with Rome, the church is consistently doing better and better and growing and growing and going expanding throughout the whole Roman Empire. And Rome, as hard as they're trying to put it out, they can't. And so they start thinking, you know what? Things are getting bad for us, but things are going good for them. So maybe what's wrong Maybe the gods are being upset about these Christians who are talking about one God. Listen, the Christians were so weird that they were treated like atheists today. You know, because everybody around the ancient time believed in multiple gods. Most of them did. And so here are, are you know, the, the Jews were a little different, but then the Christians kind of came out there and were saying something even more that God was, Jesus was God in a bod, and here he was, and here's what he did. And so it was a little awkward. And in fact, the, the you know, Rome gave a pass to the Jews. They, Rome didn't take on the Jews. They didn't, they left them alone. Look, every time uh, Rome would take over a culture, it would allow them to worship whatever they did because Rome respected ancient cultures. But Christians were different because they were presenting something new that wasn't ancient. And so they were trying to take it out. And even some of the great theologians at the time were saying, I mean, it was so bad that if, like, if, if uh, Caesar stubbed his toe, he would blame the Christians. If the river would flood when it normally would flood, send the Christians to the lions. Because the gods were upset and it's the Christians' fault. In fact, there's, there's this big, massive book that, if you ever got the time to read it, by, by Augustine. It's called City of God. It's, like, huge. In that, the Rome was constantly making this propaganda saying, hey, it's the Christians' fault why things are going bad in Rome. It's the Christians' fault. And Augustine says, no, it's your corrupt culture. It's your corrupt hearts. We're here trying to save you guys. And you're trying to kill us. And we're trying to save you. And so it keeps on going. It got so bad, listen, at one point in 324. No, I'm sorry, in 303. Emperor Diocletian, okay, issues the most vicious edict up until this time. The most intense wave of persecution hit the church at 303 because things were getting out of hand and Rome didn't know what to do. And so here they go and Christians were being violently persecuted unlike any time in history up until this point. They would ask all the bishops and the church leaders to recant. And say, you know, stop saying that in this Jesus guy or else you die. Some recanted. Some ran and hid. Some didn't. And they died. Every house of worship was destroyed that, that they could get their hands on. There was no, none that was left standing. And then there were the Christians. And they were saying, hey, any of you who are a Christian, if you have any documents, any letters, anything, you need to bring it and it needs to get burned. If you don't and we catch you with anything, you die. For a strip of paper. Unfortunately, there were some who did, and they brought their documents and they burned them. But there were hundreds, maybe thousands of Christians who preserved and kept hidden these documents. And the documents was not the Bible. It was a piece of Luke's letter. 
and, and, and something from John and, and a little piece from, from Paul's letter to the Ephesians that somebody kind of copied down and gave it to someone else and that, that they copied down. And then, and then someone had a, a letter from the Corinthians and then maybe a couple of documents from the Old Testament. But here they had each one just kind of saving and preserving one little piece and everybody had a little piece. And it went underground, hiding from the Rome for almost two, for, I don't know, a couple of years. And then around 324, 323, uh, 324 A.D., uh, things changed because now Constantine, which some of you guys know, Constantine was now the, the emperor of the Roman Empire, and Constantine became a Christian. And Constantine lifted all the, he lifted the edicts, he lifted all of the, the persecutions and all those things, he canceled it all and says, guys, no, I had a vision, the same God that these guys are talking about, they're not the problem, it's the solution. It's the solution. And the, Ro the Roman emperor stopped it all, and overnight, overnight, everything changed. And now, because Rome and because the emperor now is, is supporting and, and is a part of this, now people are asking questions. Wait, so wait, the, the emperor is a Christian because the emperor was always, you know, you know, served different gods and was kind of seen as a god. And was like, wait, what is he talking about? And so now, throughout the whole Roman Empire, everyone's asking questions. Wait, so what is that? Well, let's learn about that. We have questions. What is this? What's going on? So for the first time in the church's existence, 300 years deep, again, no Bible, just faith in a risen Savior. For the first time in history, the Christians were allowed to worship out in the open. For the first time, Christian scholars were able to, out in the open, without fear, able to gather together the documents that people had been preserving. And they would look at the Old Testament and they would bring that together into the New. Because at this point, the only, the only Bible that existed was the Hebrew Bible, which was about that. The Hebrew Bible, okay, what we call, Christians call the Old Testament, only thing that really existed. Everything else was just scraps of paper that were here and there. But now, because of the freedom, because of what was happening, here they are and they're able to discuss and to debate and to gather and to evaluate. And over the years, as years would go on, they would look, and there was so many documents that they would find, and there was a lot going on, and, and there was an argument of saying, well, hold on, something is, something is unique about some of these letters versus others, especially the New Testament stuff. So there's some things unique about this guy's versus, versus this one over here. And they would go, and they would debate it, and then eventually they were all put together, bound and wrapped, and added to the Hebrew Bible. Because the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, matters because it is the backstory that gives us the, the Christian faith. Because Jesus, what God was doing through the, you know, the, the, the Jews was of one thing. He was going to bless one nation. That through that one nation, all the nations will be blessed. So the Old Testament. So now here's a bunch of non-Jews caring about Jewish culture and caring about Jewish traditions and this Jewish ancient scripture. Because it was a part of the story. It was a part of the story. And so they gathered it all together, bound it, and said, okay, there's, there's, uh, they put some things in here, and they called it the Bible, the canon. Now, there were other books that were not included, other things that, that some liked and, and appreciated, and even still today, you can ask and you can look for some of these letters like Maccabees and all these other books that the ancient church would look at and evaluate, but they didn't make it in. And there's a big debate on saying, well, hold on. So, so that means I have to trust in what people said is in here how do they know they got it right which is a good question how do they know that one of those other books they excluded shouldn't have been in here well let me give you an example uh who has money in a bank you ever have money in a bank who's ever put money in a piggy bank you ever done one of those 
My kid, my kid uh, last Easter, uh, on what just happened about seven days ago, after Sunday, we went to family just to kind of hang out. They had an Easter egg hunt, and so they all went running around in, in my aunt's back, or in my Alicia's, actually, my wife's uh, aunt's backyard. And uh, my two youngest, I mean, killed it. The youngest one was the fast one. He was low to the ground, so he was able to just pop, 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 pop. So he was just scooping them all day. The middle one did pretty good. The oldest one, he only got four. But out of those four eggs, one of them had a $20 bill. So I was like, yo, I want to play. I'm like, yo, invite me next time. I was like, yo, yeah, we play. With, we don't just play with candy. It's candy and cash, okay? And so he got the golden egg. He found the golden egg. He was happy, even though he only got four eggs, one of them at 20 bucks. And so the first thing he did was he took the $20, right? I got a $20 bill. Uh, it's not his, by the way. He took the $20 and let me, I got a 10. So let me just pull this one. He took his money. And he has a little piggy bank. He has a little piggy bank at, uh, in his house. And so he took it, put his money in the piggy bank. Now, let me ask you a question, because a lot of us, we've all either put money in piggy banks or you've put money in the bank. Does the bank give the paper its value? Because did, is this worth $10 because I put it in the bank? No. See, the money already has value. And we put it in the bank because it has value. So we put it in the bank to protect it. We put it in the bank to keep it safe, to organize it, to keep all of our stuff together because it has value. The bank doesn't give our cash value. It already has value. There's recognized value, and that's why we put it in banks. Well, the reason why certain documents made it in here is because certain documents had a greater value, a recognized value than others. There were some like Luke's and John's and, and some letters to the Ephesians that Paul would wrote that we had so many documents, so many, it was just crazy, and a lot of them written within 20, 30 years. In fact, Luke's gospel was written in 50 A.D., we know that. So that's only 20 years. So when he's I, talking about eyewitness accounts, it's because there's still people alive who were there who saw Jesus. Okay, this was not hundreds of years later. This was not a myth. This was eyewitness accounts. And so certain things, certain documents made it into the Bible because there was already this recognized authority. There's certain letters that just had an authority to them. They had a weight. They had a value. And not that others didn't, but they were compared to. And then some of these books, well, look, look, it's, it's kind of hard to really pinpoint. This one was written like 150 years before or after the things. We don't have as many documents. The, this one is, it was easy to tell. And so for them, it was not difficult because there were some things that had value. And again, the things, everything that was put in this Bible, they, it does not have value because it was put in it. The documents had recognized value already. And that's why they put it in the bank or in this case, in a book, and bound them together, a collection of books called the Bible, because there was something unique about these documents. And the reason why, guys, and the reason why these scholars were able to have all these pieces and to piece things together and to find all the documents, stuff like this, because there were hundreds of people like you and me, regular folk, who just held onto a piece of paper like if it was money, like if it was, I mean, life itself, because they really believed it pointed to life. And so that's why we have this. And so, guys, I want you kind of the bottom line to wrap up today is this. I mean, we have a Bible. This Bible exists because people began to realize that Jesus said that Jesus was who he said he was. 
And they started to keep things together and started to share it. They really believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Those documents survived. All of these, you know, the onslaught of so many nations. And still today, it continues on because they believed that these weren't just strips of paper. It pointed us to in a person who could show us. And in him, we have life. And in him, we have eternal life. This was more than just a book. Listen, the resurrection is why the book, the Bible, was preserved. In fact, I'm looking at this right now. I want you to know this. The Bible is actually evidence of the resurrection. This right here. The fact that the Bible exists, and that statement is, y'all need to sleep on that statement real quick. I'm just sorry. You just do. You need it. Hopefully, it'll hit you later on today even more. But the, the reason, the, the, the fact that the Bible exists today is proof of the resurrection. Because if there was no resurrection, there would be nobody running around town trying to take eyewitness accounts and do something expensive and dangerous as it was. The fact that Jesus really rose from the grave is why we even have the Old Testament ancient Hebrew documents survived. The Bible, this Bible that I hold in my hand is evidence of the resurrection, that Jesus lives and still lives today. And so the, the bottom line is this, guys. Uh, bottom line is this. Listen, the Bible is not just another book. This ain't just another book that you're going to pick up at Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or whatnot. This is more than a book. There is value in here. People gave their life because they saw. They, they pointed this, you know, the pages of the scriptures pointed to a person in, him, in whom we have life. And so this is not just another book. People preserved what was written because of who was risen. And listen, this right here. It's an amazing testimony because this book has stood the test of time. This has stood the test of time because it contains the very life-giving words of a living God who once spoke everything into existence and through his words can still speak life into your existence today. Now listen, some, I don't know if you know, like some of these Bibles, some Bibles have uh, Jesus' letters in red. I don't know if some of you guys own those, you know, so you can kind of differentiate that. But listen, regardless of if your copy has Jesus' letters in red or not, I want you to know that the pages of Scripture are stained, or they are stained by the blood of your Savior and by the blood of brave brothers and sisters in the faith. Every page stained and bathed in blood. People who sacrificed their lives. In fact, we have an English Bible today because a guy named Tyndale decided to do something crazy. Translate a Bible into English so regular people can read it, and they, he was burned at the stake for it. And we have an English Bible because that man gave his life. And why were these people so willing to give their lives for a book? Because the book that the person points to gave his life for us. They believed it. They believed it was worth it. That he was worth it. So this Bible, listen guys, this Bible, I, I want you to see this book differently. That's the goal of today. The application is I want you to cherish this book. See what those people saw. This is not just another book. It's stained in the blood of your Savior and the blood of brave brothers and sisters who sacrificed their life so that you can discover what they found. Life in Jesus Christ.